So two worlds exist. In world number one, you hold a job with a very rigidly predefined job description. And in line with the detailed contract that you had to sign on the day that you accepted the job, your core responsibilities and your daily tasks are well outlined from then forward. So a need took shape and to fill it, uh, an employer crafted a job description to fit flush into the shape of that need. In a second world, you're a poet. So in this one, you exist as a unique shape yourself and you see the world as an assortment of diverse geometric shapes around you. So when you craft your poems, you construct words to bend around the world's angles and edges and to fill the remaining space. In the first world, a mold predates and shapes your actions. And in the second, your original actions mold creations. Welcome to the Impactivism Podcast, where we explore how each of us, as individuals, can get better at doing good. I'm your host, Logan Sullivan, and this is episode number 10. postal worker is hired in a growing town to sort and deliver the mail. And at day's end, the mail is sorted and delivered. Now, as per the job description, the employee walks rigid steps towards inevitable results, checking each successive predestined box along the way. So letters and packages are sorted by district by 8.30 a.m. And districts are sorted by quadrant by 9 a.m. Quadrant A mail is delivered by 11 a.m., B by 1 p.m., C by 3, and D by 5. Now, that might, that might not at all be how <laughs> the mailing system works, but for the sake of the example, imagine that's, that's how it works. So when you're a resident of this town and when you check your mail, regardless of who delivered it, the contents of the letter that you read are the same. So this idea seemed pretty consistent with most humanitarian and conservation jobs that I've had in the past, at least before transitioning into advocacy roles where, you know, there's a bit more autonomy in the work that I'm doing and it leaves more variables to play with. But for the most part, needs existed and I was hired to fill them. And because most of these roles had, I guess, limited flexibility in what end products were to be delivered, I mean, there was flexibility in how they were delivered often, but the end products, you know, what really mattered most, there wasn't a lot of flexibility there. So my personal work likely yielded little that would not otherwise come to be in my absence. In other words, you know, if my work were dialogue, I read scripts. I did not write them. And I hope to make a difference through my work, but I could not really make a difference myself if forced to read scripts verbatim. 
but if granted the freedom to improvise, to speak my mind, and to get creative with the dialogue, I could impact which words were spoken and why. Instead, my autonomy in any job prior to my, probably my two most recent, maybe a little bit, some autonomy in the, the two jobs before that, this only allowed freedom to read the script with some extra enthusiasm and charisma. You know, I spoke with a differing tone and delivery to the next guy. But in the end, the exact same words would have been conveyed with or without me in, this, in the position to read them. Uh, you know, the same letter received, regardless of the postal worker who delivered it. In a way, if no room is available for adaptability within a job, then the job's core intended outputs, they're fixed as long as somebody capable fills that job. You know, the core intended outputs, meaning what's the most important part of this job that others are, are realizing a benefit from. And in the end, there are few, you know, few potential jobs in the world in which only one particular individual is capable. And it would be a very unique situation in which the, that job existed and you are the only one that could possibly fill it. But so in all other cases, the variable is not necessarily what is being completed. I mean, that varies, of course, but we're, for the sake of, of this conversation, in a lot of jobs with rigidly predefined job descriptions, the variable is not what is being created, but it's, it's more meagerly who enacts these tasks and how desirably they deliver the inevitable final product. And most final products are unaffected by the delivery method. You know, if you're going to create uh, a product, it doesn't necessarily matter how that was created. The person at the, the end, the, the end consumer is going to consume that product uh, the same regardless. So for an example from, <clears throat> from my work in Haiti and the Democratic Republic of Congo back in 2010 and 2011, I was working there as a logistician for an organization called International Medical Corps. They respond to uh, humanitarian crises around the world to provide uh, healthcare and assistance in many areas related to that. So if the primary intended final product, you know, the, the rigidly predefined job description that I signed, it, it outlined that what needed to happen were you know, constructed hospitals, clinics, and pharmacies up to standards. You know, then as long as I assured that the hospitals, clinics, and pharmacies were completed as originally intended, then no patient, you know, who, that's all that really matters. They're the ultimate beneficiary of our collective work. You know, no beneficiary would know the difference. So this role also had me overseeing the procurement of other supplies and materials beyond just the medications to stock the pharmacies and the materials to construct uh, these buildings or the tents to, you know, uh, add the roof to a clinic. It also had me overseeing the uh, vehicle and ambulance fleets, as well as assuring that the office spaces and accommodations were, uh, we had contracts to assure we, we had an office space and all the expatriate staff had places to stay while they were here from, uh, you know, other countries. And I, involve, I was involved sometimes in customs-related things. But this was all very important, too. And, of course, you know, these, these elements of the work did impact the ultimate beneficiaries and sometimes in less direct ways, um, I mean, to varying degrees. 
But as long as I think the, the most impactful way was, of course, the vehicles and the ambulances. So as long as all the vehicles got the medical teams where they needed to be when they needed to be there and all the ambulances were functioning as they were supposed to be. You know, I wasn't managing the, the ambulances. I was just making sure that they were available when they needed to be and that they, you know, they didn't have problems. They weren't going to break down. So as long as all of that was in line and as long as I found all the supplies that were needed for the teams to do their work, uh, which could be pretty much anything, but they'd ask me to procure that for them. I wasn't identifying what was needed. So I didn't have a judgment made there. It was just rather they submitted, they need X, Y, and Z by this date. And I figured out how to, to buy it within the budget as quickly and easily as possible. So as long as I made sure they had what they needed by the date they need it, and as long as we had fun functioning uh, office space and a residence for our team members, then again, the beneficiaries, the only reason that we were all there, the only reason this organization had funding, the only reason the organization exists is to, to address, uh, to provide assistance to these beneficiaries, uh, then in the end, they were unaffected by the process through which I figured out how to make all this happen, right? I guess more generally, either within our work or outside of our jobs, when we aspire to save and improve lives or change destructive policies or protect our environment or save vulnerable species, the outcome, you know, not the delivery method, as long, I guess, as long as the delivery method was not a destructive one in itself, the outcome should be the main consideration and primary focus when we're analyzing the good that, that we as individuals are actually doing. I guess in a similar way as a maybe a simpler example as you sip a coca-cola you are left unaffected by the charisma with which a factory manager uh, conducted the predetermined tasks outlined in their job description. You know whoever held that job managing the the factory the coca-cola factory it did not change the way you the the customer and in in a way, the ultimate beneficiary of this product, consume that same red aluminum can of syrup, sugar, and bubbles replicated and replicated since 1892. So if this were the case, then it seemed for me, the only way that I could truly give utility to the world to most literally make a difference that would not have otherwise come to be, this would be to create utility from scratch. Right? To build virtuous ends from nothing and leave behind something that would not otherwise exist. Which, you know, to write my own scripts. And I guess it's not constructed from nothing, but uh, constructed from my, from, from the resources that I am. Whether that's my willpower to do so, my creative energy, potentially my financial resources if I had any. <laughs> uh, and that list goes on, but that's that's another topic. So... I guess through this lens, the true, the true impact that I'd have, you know, my real, real uh, contribution is measured not by the nominal improvement I contribute to. You know, that would be working in this job with a humanitarian organization that's accomplishing a lot and doing great things. But I'm, I'm, you know, contributing to that process in a way that didn't necessarily make the difference. Uh, but... It would rather be by, you know, measuring the marginal difference between the sum total of well-being in the world at any moment 
and the sum total at that same moment in a counterfactual world had I never been born. the luxury of seeing what our family and friends or our communities or the world as a whole what it all would have looked like had we never rubbed off on it had we never been a part of its story or had we never been born and we don't have control groups to see what would have happened had we made different choices or taken that opportunity uh, before it passed you know had we looked closer into the details before jumping to conclusions but in the in order to really know the difference that we're making through the act of living our lives, I think that's really the biggest question we have to consider. And question, what would have happened otherwise? I don't know if anybody's seen the movie It's a Wonderful Life. It's a, a Christmas movie from the early 1940s, maybe. Uh, my mother's favorite movie, and she used to make all of us watch it uh, every year and I used to not enjoy it and now it's it's become one of my I'm not I cannot stomach Christmas movies for the most part but I don't think this should be a Christmas one it just happens to have Christmas in it but anyway <laughs> if anyone's seen that they know the premise that the main character uh, is you know facing a lot of problems and not really realizing the impact that he's had on the people around him by making the choices that he's made and he comes to a point where a big mistake was made and he wishes that he had never been born. And so his guardian angel comes down and grants him this wish. So he gets to see his, uh, the world had he never been born. And he sees, you know, the, the lives that people ended up living, people who would have uh, not lived a, a life that he had saved that he didn't really realize and by saving that one life, that person went on to save hundreds of lives. And so all those people would have died. The town that he fought for and he stood up to the evil businessman trying to take over the whole town. Uh, he was the one reason in the end that the, the town survived without this guy taking over it and turning it into casinos and strip clubs and, and all this stuff and everyone living in a slum. So he had the opportunity to see that. And unfortunately, uh, we, none of us will probably get that, that wish granted. But essentially, I think that's the idea. That's the lens that we should be looking through when trying to understand the impact that we're having is, I guess that's in the essence, that's the question. What would have happened otherwise? So when it comes to trying to do good, you know, in the world in, in some way, I guess we also, we lack a, a control group as well. Uh, you know, we rarely know the true impact of our actions and considering these what if scenarios will always remain at least in part theoretical unless unless we have unless guardian angels happen to somehow be be real to come down and show us the, the world otherwise. But I'm not counting on that and I wouldn't encourage anyone to count on that either. But uh, maybe we can look at an example. So, for example, you volunteer with an organization that fights poverty in Malawi. And during that year that you're, you're volunteering, poverty in Malawi happens to decrease. 
From my experience in aid work, that organization would likely use that statistic to their benefit in communicating their success. Though in this case, correlation has, you know, it is in very, very far from suggesting causation. Uh, it's a very, very big equation to look, to look at there before we can understand what was the cause of poverty decreasing. So in reality, you don't really know how your organization contributed. And in the end, perhaps poverty levels would have decreased anyway. Or maybe even to a larger extent if your organization were not involved, which would mean they're actually doing something actively harmful by slowing that, that rate. And maybe, maybe for an example within an example, if you, let's say you happen to campaign for the legalization of marijuana in Oregon prior to 2014, and your misguided strategy, a very heartfelt strategy, you really wanted to legalize marijuana, but your strategy was to get high and go down to the state capitol building and throw rocks at the legislators uh, opposing legalization. It would be, in this case, pretty safe to believe that the path to legalization would have been much smoother without your involvement. And we can be pretty close to certain that your tactics were not the cause for legalization. And though there was certainly a correlation here, as you, you know, employed this very well-intentioned, emotionally charged, heartfelt strategy that you believe to be a constructive one, and you employed this in the months leading up to the decision to put marijuana legalization on the ballot, this was definitely not causation. Uh, yet we're often inclined to just look at the fact that we animated our good intentions in some way and we animated them into well-meaning actions. So we, we stood up and we fought in some way or we participated in some action that we believed in. And, and we then sometimes think that they caused the outcomes that happened to follow or that they positively contributed to the outcomes uh, that happened to be, you know, that happened to arise in the aftermath. But this is a very, you know, pretty good example, pretty straightforward example of the post hoc ergo proctor hoc logical fallacy, which can be shortened to just the post hoc fallacy, but it's just way more fun to say post hoc ergo proctor hoc. Or maybe I just bored everybody and you press stop as immediately as I said that. If so, um, sorry. But <laughs> anyway, so an example of that, that logical fallacy uh, like the most classic one that, that you'd hear would be, you know, the, the rooster crows each morning before the sun rises. Therefore, the rooster makes the sunrise, which, of course, hopefully we can all agree that that's not the case. So it, we can then say, you know, whether the organization, that organization of Malawi contributed to good or not, you'd have to ask if you're thinking about how you're contributing to doing good. And you want to use yourself as a resource to contribute to the most good. Not necessarily when we're thinking about what in general in the world leads to the most good, but how can you create, you know, the most good? You know, you have to ask, how much did you as one individual contribute in this grand equation? You know, would the outcome have been different if you declined the job offer and the position went to the runner up? In one way, if your organization was actually doing harm, but slightly less harm with you in your role versus the runner-up candidate that you narrowly beat out in the interview, then your net impact 
as an individual would be positive while your organizations would be negative. I think this is one of the most important takeaways here. So when you make choices for how to invest yourself as a resource, one one of these two considerations is much more important. You know, when investing yourself, it is, of course, most important to look at your impact on the margin, not just the collective impact of something you are participating in. And in other considerations, you know, when you're considering how effective an organization or cause is as a whole, this becomes very central when deciding which organization or cause to support in ways other than with your time. But yeah, that's a different a different conversation. So again, this is I guess this is a really difficult question to answer with any level of certainty. You know, what would have happened otherwise? Yet in some areas of life and in a lot of areas of doing good, we absolutely can answer maybe an even more important question. Uh, Given, you know, this question, given all the information I have access to, what decision is the most reasonably, reasonably likely to allow me to most positively impact the world? You know, when making actual decisions, not just when theorizing, this is the question that matters most, I think. And to get back to the, uh, the rooster, you know, if we were raised in isolation on a piece of land with uh, a crowing rooster, we could have, you know, reasoned or been told, and it wouldn't have been that crazy to reason this or be told if we didn't have access to any information outside of this plot of land, that if we were told that the rooster's crows make the sunrise, you know, to believe that wouldn't be that crazy. So from this perspective, it could be, again, very reasonable to believe that tending to the rooster's health and assuring it crows each morning, I don't know how you do that, but maybe <laughs> maybe there's a way, this would actually be probably saving the entire world by, by keeping the sun rising to provide planet Earth with its energy. And, you know, but, but luckily, <laughs> we're not all on isolated farms with no contact with the outer world. And we have internet access, if you're listening to this, and probably some level of education. So, you know, if, if we can dig into the information that we have access to, in that, in that situation, we'll very quickly conclude that, uh, you know, our assuring the rooster crows in southern Oregon actually has no impact on crop yields in southern Asia or the uh, survival of forests in Borneo or Sumatra. So with a little more digging after that, you know, into the information we have access to, we might realize that the benefit of the sun rising that we value so much... Uh, it would have been, you know, we could deconstruct that into the way it preserves the environment and into the way it delivers renewable energy sources to humanity to put to use as well as within nature. So if if that was the deconstructive motive behind our tending to the rooster in a way, I don't know what, again, whatever that means, we could further research how to contribute to those particular causes most effectively and that's how we can figure out how to make a difference uh so when it comes to a few things so when it like how when it comes to how we donate when it comes to how we volunteer time and what careers that we choose we have there's a lot of research and a lot of information 
that, that we ha we can access. You know, we can pretty objectively suggest with a pretty high level of certainty what paths are most likely or more likely than others to allow us to positively impact the causes we prioritize and effectively make the world you know, a better place. We know which organizations, with a little research, we know which organizations are effective that we can donate to to achieve the outcomes we hope for. We know how we can volunteer our time if we do a little research and which careers actually make the biggest difference. Uh, yeah, so, but, but with other actions, you know, outside of donating, volunteering, and working, we can definitely come to somewhat convincing conclusions, but very rarely to perfect conclusions. But perfect conclusions aren't necessarily the objective here. Again, coming to a reasonable understanding of what's likely going to lead to productive outcomes, that's the objective. So, in the end, when making choices in life, and particularly when trying to do good, whether they're mindlessly minute or infinitely consequential choices, just try, as a general principle, try veering away from making the decisions that appear most benevolent on the surface before digging deeper. Because when, when it comes to good intentions, I think those intuitive choices that appear good on the surface are often the choices that are participating in change. A, a script for change was written, and these choices read these scripts verbatim, often among crowds all reading the same script in unison. Or sometimes you're picking up a script that somebody else would have found otherwise and would have read, and your reading it didn't actually make additional words uh, come to life, but it, uh, it, maybe it made them read a little bit differently. But instead, as a guiding principle, try to lean towards those choices that move beyond participating in change, that write their own scripts that would otherwise not have been written. You now, the choices that create the difference. Thank you all for making it through this episode. I hope this is more than just food for thought. I hope it's ideas to apply, something to really be aware of to help uh, help us you know, get better at doing good. Uh, if you appreciated anything in this episode, please consider sharing it. Uh, cons if you really, really liked it, uh, consider going to iTunes to leave a review that goes really, really far at the early stages of the podcast. Uh, so for that, much, much appreciation. If you want to get involved in the conversation, uh, check out at Impactivism is the, the Facebook page. Uh, you can find that pretty easily. Or if you go to logansullivan.com, that has all the links to everything you could ever need. Um, on that Facebook page, I'll have lots of conversations about similar ideas and offer up a lot more tools that we can put to use. So thank you again. And a big thank you to Hana. The, uh, she, she's the, the, one of my favorite musicians who has given me permission to use all the music in this episode. Uh, you can find her again in the show notes on, and in the notes on SoundCloud. You can find links to all of her stuff or you can, you can also look her up. It's H-A-A-N-A -A -A, and there's an accent on the first day. I don't know what it's called, but it's the two dots. I should probably figure that out. Uh, you can look her up. Uh, and that should be all. Thank you so much. And I'll be back again every Monday and every Wednesday. 